The NBA Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by Shady Rays. SGPN is teaming up with Shady Rays for Shady May. Get 50% off of your Shady Rays using promo code SGPN and then go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash shady for your chance to win $500. We're also brought to you by Edge Boost. Edge Boost enables you to double your bet with no interest. Go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash edge to get started today. Welcome everyone to the NBA Gambling Podcast, part of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It is Thursday, May the 18th, currently 1135 on the East Coast. Here to break down game two of the Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Denver Nuggets. And also we'll recap what we saw in game one of the Eastern Conference Finals between the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics. And joining me here to help me break it all down. You guys know him as the voice of the WNBA Gambling Podcast, the Tennis Gambling Podcast, the NFL Gambling Podcast. Of course, here on the NBA Gambling Podcast, it's Scott Studio Rochelle. Scott, what's going on, my man? How you doing, bro? Yeah, nothing much. Uh, feels good to get the WNBA show on the road. I know Terrell and I did the win total preview for uh, this upcoming season yesterday. A little bit weird when you have to constantly look through offshore markets in the WNBA because nobody carries it, and then suddenly it's on DraftKings and it's on every possible sports book. So I do like how that's progressed. <laughs> What's fun, though, took about an hour to go through all the teams, and the season actually starts tomorrow. So if you do want extra basketball action, whether it's DJ, whether you're a DJ or not, you can get women's basketball and you can bet on it starting tomorrow, which is fun. As for the game yesterday, the show was pretty uh, overall. It was fine. I had the under, unfortunately, on Bam, 18 and a half points as my lock, which I can't call a bad beat because he finished with 20, but he had like 18 entering the fourth quarter. So I can't really call that a bad beat. However, I did end up winning the dog. I had Jimmy Butler leading point score at plus 190. And that got there. So could have been worse, made some profit in the lock and dog segments. But for the most part, fun game. I know we're about to talk about it, but yeah, I feel like it's kind of what we expected to see over the course of several games because we've seen it from Boston the entire playoff so far. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, yeah, let's just dive right into it. I mean, game one last night, we saw it between the Heat and the Celtics. Miami get the victory 123-116 in a come-from-behind victory. I think they were down, what, nine points at half um, were the Miami Heat. Uh, and it was really that third quarter. That was the difference last night for the Miami Heat to get the game one victory. Uh, they outscored Boston 46-25 to in that third quarter. Uh, Boston did make it a little entertaining in that fourth quarter, but nonetheless, Miami uh, Heat held on. And like you mentioned there, uh, Scott, Jimmy Butler led, led the way for the Miami Heat. He finished the game with 35 points, uh, seven assists, but I think maybe more importantly, he had six steals last night for the Miami Heat as well. They had uh, four different guys in double figures last night. You also mentioned Bam finished up with 20. Gabe Vincent, Max Strews, Cody, uh, sorry, Caleb Martin, and Kyle Lowry each finished up with 15 points. Each of those four guys, Scott, finished up with three three-pointers um, in that game. So Jimmy Butler did his thing, and he also got the support from the uh, surrounding cast around him. On the flip side there, uh, Scott, I think the more bigger story that's coming out of this game is the lack of timeouts 
that or the lack of timeout Joe Lazula uh, didn't call in that third quarter during their run. I'm not sure if you caught the post uh, post game interview or Wait, press so you, conference so you're saying with it's Joe a, You're saying it's a bad thing to uh, not call a timeout <laughs> while your team's giving up 46 points in the third quarter. You're saying that's not a good thing. He, did he say he said something like I called like two in the first quarter? I I, I didn't catch the entire thing. What he said there were timeouts involved. They were just media calls. <laughs> they weren't by Missoula, but. I feel like that, once again, sums up the difference in coaching because Boston went on an immediate 7 nothing run to start the fourth yeah. quarter. And yes. what's Spolster do? Immediately took a timeout. timeout. Yeah. And even if you can make an argument that maybe the timeout didn't immediately fix things because Boston still hung around for a bit, at least you try to change the momentum. And I've roasted Missoula a lot for his late-game execution most or late-game play calling, mostly because he never calls a timeout and he right. lets his guys play. I don't know how many times... You need to see your team struggle before you start pivoting and calling timeouts because Missoula always has a bunch of timeouts and he has to use one for the use for the uh, use it or lose a timeout, which he eventually right. uses every quarter. Yeah. But he really lets his team play through some negative runs and his team gets buried in those runs and he just lets his team die out there I, under no circumstance. Should you be up nine? It was 13 with a couple minutes to go in the second quarter. At no point should you be down double digits after being up nine at half and not call a single timeout. That's just insane to me. That's malpractice. You have to call at least one timeout. Usually the magic number is what? Like seven? Seven nothing run? Nine Three, nothing yeah. run? Yeah, around there. Yeah, seven, seven to eight, I think is is and you're like you're sitting there watching the game. Like you you as a fan, or even a better, like you're watching, like, okay, they're gonna call a timeout. Like you know it. Like I'm I'm cheesy enough or corny enough where like I'm watching the game and I'm seeing a team going to run and I'm kind of pointing towards the bench when I'm watching the TV that they need to call a timeout nine times nine times out of ten I'm right that one time is when Boston doesn't decide to call timeouts when their opponents are going on a run. No, and the one adjustment Azul is making during the actual breaks is chucking his clipboard at the floor. Like I, I don't know what he's actually been doing on the sideline for a lot yeah. of this, this game because it really just seemed like Boston. I don't want to say peaked because they won three of the four quarters, but it just seemed like Miami came out and hit him in the mouth in the second half. It was really similar to what I saw in the Philly game without Embiid in game one. And now the yeah. first half was a little bit bigger margin in terms of Boston leading. But in both cases, it felt like Boston came out early, set the tone, opened up a lead, and then simply put thought they won the game. It was like they thought there was a mercy rule in basketball, and they stopped trying once they were up double digits. And Miami came out in the second half. You knew Spolster was going to make some adjustments, but most yeah. importantly, you knew Miami was not going to roll over. And yeah. for whatever reason, Boston thinks whenever you're up double digits, the other team is obligated to roll over, and Miami didn't. They played significantly harder. That was really the story for me in the third quarter. It wasn't even like Boston was getting equally good shots and they were missing. It just seemed like Miami was trying so much harder the entire quarter, whether it involved rebounds, whether it involved just defensive intensity. Boston looked like they were sleepwalking the game, like it was a regular season game in the middle of December. And yeah. the Heat looked at it and said, this is game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. We're bringing it. And Boston just did not match the same intensity level. And then they tried to regain it in the fourth quarter, which they did briefly, We'll get into the turnovers in the late game execution once again in a second because that's been an issue for Boston all season long. But the story was the third quarter because, yeah. once again, you cannot under any circumstance get outscored by 20-plus points in a quarter at home in yep. the playoffs. 46 points in a quarter? 
at home? Really? Like, I, I, that's just so inexcusable. And I don't have much more to add. It just felt like Boston once again took their foot off the gas and Miami buried them. Yeah, and I also mentioned this. We, we, I mean, all of us knew that uh, Coach Spo is 100% or 1,000% the better head coach. Like, you, we've seen it throughout the playoffs where he's made those adjustments, whether it was in round one against Milwaukee, uh, whether it was round two against New York, and and now in game three, or sorry, in uh, the Eastern Conference Finals, coming out of the timeout, they made those adjustments. Um, and, you know, he's going to run circles around Joe Mazzula. Um, even if Boston does win this series, I think that, you know, Coach Spo is going to, make those in-game adjustments like he has all all playoffs long um something i was going to mention but i completely forgot but um yeah well, i, mean, I was I really, going to mention the lake in execution stuff we were yeah, kind of slowly starting with missoula and working from there because it's not sure. all on him yeah but it did seem like then again it's a trend with this team i gotta mm-hmm. blame coaching when your team constantly stops trying when you're up double digits yeah so that's that's yeah. coaching but I don't know if you want to segue directly into Tatum, if you want to talk about Butler first or the supporting cast for Miami stepping up. But I had to start with Missoula. I had to obviously mention the third quarter because that literally decided the entire game. If you want to start talking about Tatum, we can. But I wasn't sure if you wanted to mention anything else on Missoula or the supporting cast beforehand. Uh, I mean, for Miami, I mean, I mentioned it. Look, they they got 60 combined points from four different guys. Each of those four guys hit three three-pointers. Uh, and they needed all of it, right? And uh, you had uh, Jimmy Butler as your dog of the day yesterday, as him as a leading scorer. And Jimmy did Jimmy Butler things. And, you know, he hit the clutch three uh, in the final, I think it was a final minute or, or minute 30, something like that, to kind of really think made it a three-possession three game at that point. And then now, then you knew that Boston wasn't going to come back. But, yeah. I, I, think they were, I think they were up seven at that point. And that made it 10. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, look for for Miami when you have Jimmy Butler, especially in clutch time when you need a basket, you know he's going to deliver. And I tweeted this out as well. I got a, some backlash about it. I said that we know Coach Spo is a better head coach. Can we argue that Jimmy Butler is going to be the best player on the floor between these two teams? Maybe you have you have the best coach and the best player on one team, and they were a significant underdog coming into this series. So. Um, yeah, that's all I had for the Miami side. They're now 3-0 and in game ones. They won yeah. game one against Milwaukee, game one against New York, game one against Boston. And obviously all on the road. Yeah, and all on the road. They've stolen home court now, um, and they've obviously gone on to win each of the first two series. Um, so we'll see. Going over to the Boston side here. Um, before, we let, let, before we get over to the Boston side here, Scott, uh, let me tell uh, everyone about Edge Boost here before we get to that Boston side. So SGPN is excited to announce an exclusive early access partnership with Edge Boost, the world's first bet now, pay later Visa card. Similar to buy now, pay later programs like Affirm and Afterpay, Edge Boost enables you to double your bet with no interest and pay back the advance over four equal weekly installments. That's right, 0% interest. Simply deposit funds into your account and Edge Boost Boost will match the deposit so you can use two times the funds on any legal sports betting side. Edge is currently offering up to 2,500 advances as you build your repayment history. Uh, We'll get to our uh, Edge Boost double down play of the day later in the podcast, or sorry, later in the episode. But with this special offer, the first 500 SGPN users will start at a $1,000 advance limit, and the next 2,500 users will start at 500 Go to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash edge to sign up. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash edge. Must be 20 years or older 
and uh, only valid in legal gambling states. Problem gambling? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Scott, we talked about it, the Miami Heat. Now let's go over to that Boston side. Um, Jason Tatum last night, 41 minutes, 9 uh, of nine of 17 from the floor. Finishing with 30 points, 11 of 11 for the free throw line. Jalen Brown, 10 of 21, 22 points. Malcolm Brogdon off the bench, 19 points for the uh, Boston Celtics. They did have five different guys, sorry, uh, six different guys in double figures, but it just wasn't enough. And I know you wanted to expand on the late game execution for Boston and then also against Jason Tatum. So I'll give you the floor. So to start off with the main talking point that the announcers were making during the TNT broadcast, they kept asking for Tatum to get the ball. And yeah. in case you didn't realize Tatum had 30 points, he attempted zero shots in the entire fourth quarter. Zero. Now, of course, he got to the foul line, so some of that's misleading because a shooting foul, of course, doesn't count as a field goal attempt unless you make the shot. But still, he had zero field goal attempts, and then the announcers kept demanding them to give Tatum the ball, and Tatum immediately got the ball after that and traveled twice in the final two minutes of regulation. Like, Tatum was a mess in the late game, and so was most of Boston. I thought Jalen Brown forced up a bunch of shots. Even one of the layups he made, I thought it was actually a charge. To be honest, I thought yeah. I thought Martin drew the charge there. In today's NBA, that's a charge, and they just called it a block. So that was kind of a fortunate break there for Boston anyway. But I've mentioned it time and time again with Boston in, in crunch time. What makes Miami dangerous is the fact that they have an identity, and they know exactly what they want to run in every big possession. They have a guy that's going to have the ball in his hands. He knows what his spots are. He knows what he's good at. He knows what the defense wants to do, and as a result, Miami's a very high IQ basketball team because they know we're going to space out the side of the floor. We're going to let Butler cook. He's our best player. There's a hierarchy in place, which I think definitely helps the team because they can each individually stay committed to their roles, and that allows them for team success. Boston's problem is that when they run a free-flowing offense, which is what Boston has been running for the entire playoffs, and -hmm. I've criticized it at times, even the regular season, there's really no set strategy to their late-game possessions. It seems like everybody on the floor can create something, but nobody really wants to be the one to pull the trigger. And whether it involves Tatum or Brown, we've even seen Marcus Smart take some shots here and there, Brogdon, it seems like Boston has so many options that they really have no go-to options, and that's been an issue for them all playoffs long. And yes, it worked out against Philly in that one game where Tatum went nuts from three. But for the most part, you can tell from a possession-by-possession basis in the final couple minutes, Miami knew who was going to have the ball, where everyone was going to stand, and what they were going to run. Boston was constantly in the final five seconds of the shot clock with nothing. They had nothing, and they ended up daring one of their main guys to create something in isolation. That's a problem. I understand the importance of, of successful isolation scoring. You have to run a set on occasion. You have to try something, at yeah. least get somebody an open look. And it seems like Boston's willing to live and die by isolation late in games, and it's killed them more often than not. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, again, ties into coaching as well, right? And it's about using timely timeouts, setting up plays, running something, running a set. I understand that you know you know you want to run the offense through your best player with this Jason Tatum, but like you mentioned uh, earlier, that he had those two traveling calls in the final minutes, and of even that. running through it, he had zero field goal attempts once again in the fourth quarter. So yeah. 
Boston was like half committing to Tatum. On the other end, you could argue since it's a free-flowing offense, Tatum should want the ball himself and to do something with it. But it just seemed like the entire game was Boston's going, all right, we're going to get this random switch. We're going to let one of our main guys dance, and we'll get an open look. And in the fourth quarter of games, when the defense buckles down and they're going to dare you to actually get past them and make some difficult shots, Boston, once again, didn't really do anything in terms of progress in the first, what, like 17 seconds of the shot clock every possession? Yep. You can rewatch the fourth quarter. A lot of Boston's possessions, which besides the occasional transition layup, which they didn't get many of, mm-hmm. it was mostly just dribbling around the perimeter and just waiting for the shot clock to go down and then telling Tatum or Brown, do something. Yeah. That's not going to work. Like, yeah, that's a problem. Not. Especially against a team like Miami, right, where they're so well-coached and they have – the personnel, they have guys, I don't say championship pedigree, but they have guys that have made playoff runs. They've been to the NBA Finals not too long ago. I know people talk about the 2020 NBA Finals, which was in the bubble, but, I mean, it still counts for something. Um, so we'll see, man. I look, it's, it's game one. Miami did their thing like they have in their first two rounds against uh, Milwaukee Bucks and the New York Knicks. Um, I, I'm not, I, I didn't catch which, which team you picked to win the series. I had Boston in seven. I picked Miami to win game one, Boston to win in seven. Nothing's okay. changing for me. Once okay. again, I, I'm going to ask a question because I was trying to figure out the way to phrase it. My my annoyance with Boston. You ever see the movie Bronx Tale? No. Robert De Niro. It's like a mob movie, whatever. There, there's a saying in the movie, which Robert De Niro tells his son all the time in the movie. And he says, there's nothing worse than wasted potential. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about Boston. This team has so much potential. They are so talented on paper, and yet they do everything they possibly can to put in such a minimal amount of effort. They do the bare minimum to win games, and it's so frustrating to actually watch because this team, we've seen it in Game 7 against Philly. We saw it in Game 2 against Philly. We've seen it in various occasions, even Game 1 against Atlanta. If they're fully focused, they can bury anybody, but they're never fully focused. It's just really annoying, but I got Boston in seven. I still think talent's going to reign supreme. This team only seems to try when they're backed into a corner, which is so annoying to deal with. <laughs> and I'm happy that I have no futures on Boston because they would be driving me nuts. I'm sure fans of, of the team have been have, it's been driving them nuts as well for months, yeah. but they have so much potential. They're clearly more talented than Miami. Once again, even without any real adjustments, Boston outscored Miami in three out of the four quarters. So I'm not saying Boston's screwed, but how often can you play down to competition and expect people to realistically consider you title contenders? It might work in the Eastern Conference, but do I think if they get through Miami, they'll be able to beat the Lakers or the Nuggets in seven games? Hell no. I'm not picking them to win the NBA Finals, but that was an issue with Udoka as well last year. It's really, really bizarre to me, and it tells you everything you need to know about Boston. This team is 11-11 and in their last 22 home playoff games. How the hell does that happen? 11-11? and Yeah, that's that's not going to win you championships, obviously, when you – I know – a lot of people have talked about that, you know, home court doesn't really matter in the NBA playoffs. Or but that you look at the four team... teams left. Denver sure. undefeated at home. Lakers yeah. undefeated at home. Miami yep. lost the opening game to Atlanta, undefeated in the actual bracket. And then right. you have Boston, who's 500. Yeah. So, so home court does matter, apparently, because three of the four teams are undefeated in the actual bracket at home. And Boston's just trading home and road wins. 
why can't you defend a home game? You have yeah. a good crowd. It's only nobody's showing up to your games. You're not the Tampa Bay Rays of, of the, uh, you know, the <laughs> NBA. Like, you have a good crowd. And yeah. we saw it in game seven. It showed up, and they really used it to spark the team in the second half. At some point, it's either they automatically assume they're going to win when they walk into the arena. I don't know what the problem is, but this team, 11-11 and 11 at home in the last two postseasons, that's inexcusable. That's, that's insane. This is not the team, the Miami. This is not a team in the Miami you want to mess around with. Like, if you think you think you can bury them, you should, because if this team somehow gets, I think, a 2 1 lead, does Miami, I think I pick Miami in six because I, for all the reasons that we're talking about, I just don't trust Boston, especially with Coach Missoula as a head coach, that they play with their food. You talk, we talked about it in round one against Atlanta in game five on their home floor with no DeJounte Murray. Lost the game. Okay, yeah, they went into game six and barely won that game or barely covered the game, I should say. Um, and then we saw it against Philly where they got down three games to two. They had to win back-to-back games to cover. But uh, this is not the team that you want to do that with, right? Especially with I, – I, I, I'm I, putting my money on Jimmy Butler and Coach Bo at the end of the day. So um, game six – sorry, game two will be on – what's today? Thursday – on Saturday? Oh, no, sorry, tomorrow on Friday. Yeah, they keep they keep alternating. Yeah, alternate, day, yeah. Day so out. Friday, I can't keep tracking my days anymore. But uh, Friday will be game we, two. You're not sleeping, so all your days merge together yeah. at this point. So there you go. Uh, so Friday game two, and then uh, game three will be on Sunday. So uh, definitely looking forward to this series. Um, anything else, Scott? Before we get over to the game tonight between the Lakers and the Denver Nuggets. I don't think I have much. Uh, I was going to mention some adjustments, but to be honest, I feel like that would be better served going into the game two preview. So I'm not yeah. going to like overload it now. Plus, I'll probably rewatch a decent amount of the game just to make sure that I got some uh, things that I remembered correctly. Want to make sure I don't like you know misremember anything. But yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. Once again, Boston can't defend home court. They make life difficult for themselves. And Miami, they're just a bunch of zombies. They won't go away. They're going to make you earn it. And we know that Butler and the rest of Miami's team is fearless. And I do think the last point I'll make, a lot of teams tend to inherit the personality of the best player. And it seems like the best player has the role of not just carrying the team to winning, but also carrying the actual team mentality. And we know Butler is a savage in a good way. Like he's going to make sure the whole team goes down swinging. That's really the issue I have with Tatum. And I know Tatum had 50-plus points in Game 7. He set the record. He was also really underwhelming for a decent amount of that Philly series before he saved his own legacy in Game 6 in the fourth quarter. It just seems like Boston doesn't have any real vocal leaders. And when your main guys, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, are going to look a little bit shaky in big moments, I know Tatum once again at 50 points, but for the most part, we saw in the finals last year, Tatum kind of shrunk in that moment, and he's had some issues in the past of shrinking in big moments. Mm-hmm. They had 10 turnovers between the two of them in yeah. the in game one yesterday and a couple of really bad ones in the fourth quarter. It seems like since Tatum and Brown are so indecisive late in games, it trickles down to the rest of the team where the entire team is indecisive. That's what, the last point I wanted to mention. You mentioned Butler being the best player in the series. I'd agree with you. It's also some of it's just mentality based. I know Butler, no matter how many shots he's going to miss, is going to keep swinging. And I know that he's going to make sure that he's going to get the best out of his guys. And I don't get the same feeling from Tatum and Brown. Tatum lets his game do the talking. But I do wish I saw a little bit more leadership from him and Brown. 
It mm. seems like they're all in charge of their own responsibilities, and they don't really try to pick other guys up when they're down. Maybe you noticed the same thing. Maybe you didn't. But that's what I've noticed from Boston over the last couple of years. Tatum and Brown have really not done a great job in terms of leadership with this team. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that as well. I think that if Miami does find a way to win this series, I think that this team may just get blown up. I think Jalen Brown is probably going to leave um, this this team after this season. So, but Who's the leader for this team? Marcus Smart? Is this, I, is this I equivalent think, to Philly using P.J. Tucker yelling at the star player in the middle of game four? Like you shouldn't. I understand Tucker's a vocal guy. Under no circumstance should you be telling your star player, listen, you have to do something. Like That's a serious red flag. It just feels like either Horford or Marcus Smart are the veteran leaders of the team. Mm. At some point, the superstar is going to have to lead. At some yeah. point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, Scott, before we get into game two for the Western Conference Finals, let me tell everyone about Shady Rays and Shady May. Shady Rays is teaming up with SGPN for Shady May. Not only do you have uh, not only do you get an amazing 50% off, but you also have a chance to win $500. Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. Shady Rays have durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. And that's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair. No questions asked. Wear a Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back long after your purchase. And if you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within a 30-day return window period. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And for our international listeners, Shady Rays has you covered as well with shipping to Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. So go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SGPN for 50% off of two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Then take your receipt to sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash shady for your chance to win $500. All right, Scott, game two tonight between the LA Lakers and the Denver Nuggets. We saw the Denver Nuggets win game one, 132-126. Big game two here tonight um, in Denver in the Mile High City. So currently I am seeing the lines for this game. Uh, uh, The Denver Nuggets, I'm sorry, are laying five and a half points. Total is set at 227 here. Um, I think this is a do or die game for the LA Lakers. Uh, Obviously, you don't want to go down 2-0 heading back to LA um, and then having to beat the Denver Nuggets for the next five games. So this is a huge game here for the Lakers. Um, Game one, we saw... Anthony Davis, he dropped 40 points. Now, traditionally, we've seen, Scott, it throughout the playoffs where Anthony Davis has a great game and then he falls off of the earth in game two. I think LeBron is going to have continue to have a big series. Um, he's just a matchup nightmare for this Denver Nuggets team. But game two, let's start with the spread here, Scott. What are you thinking? Denver laying five and a half. I'm going to take the, the Lakers in the spot. Uh, I think that this is too many points. I'm not going to try to overreact to what we saw in the fourth quarter of game one because you can argue Denver thought they had the game one. They stopped trying. I don't actually agree with that. It really seemed like Denver kept trying to put the Lakers away and they just wouldn't go away. And I feel like the Lakers spent a lot of game one experimenting with lineups, defensive coverages on Jokic. I thought they were going to get buried in game one. I thought Denver was going to cover. It looked like the Warriors line uh, from last series where they're just laying a massive number 
And you're like, all right, the Lakers are probably going to roll over at some point in the second half, and Denver's going to win comfortably. And it looked like it. They are up 20 points with roughly three minutes to go in the third quarter. Yeah. And then the Lakers changed their lineups. They put Rui in, and they tried to experiment with some coverages. And suddenly, the Lakers made it a one-possession game. And I know the Lakers shot really well from three, which is a less sustainable than the Nuggets shooting really well from three because the Nuggets are a very good three-point shooting team and the Lakers are not. Denver defensively, though, really wasn't great. It just got overshadowed by Jokic having a ridiculous three quarters where it looked like he was on pace for 50, 30, and 20. It looked <laughs> like he was on pace for some type of absurd, like, Will Chamberlain stat line for a little well, while You'd be shocked there, if but... he dubs, like, does drop a 50, 30, 20, like, in a, in, at one point in his career. He had 11 rebounds with, like, four minutes to go in the first quarter, <laughs> and I thought yeah. he was potentially going to go for, like, a Wilt 40 rebound game. But the point is, the Lakers seem to find something. Now, whether you believe that's sustainable or not, at least I know Darvin Ham will make adjustments, and I know that they're willing to push the envelope on what lineups they can get away with. So if something doesn't work, at least the Lakers are quick to pull it and switch. Denver, I don't think they have that luxury. Like, I don't really know what Denver's counter would be to dealing with the Lakers because Jokic still gives you no rim protection. Mm -hmm. 80 still dropped 40, so it's not yeah. like Jokic. I know he outplayed 80 anyway, but 80 still had 40. LeBron still had an efficient game where he could have been more aggressive. LeBron could have scored 35, really wanted to, but yeah. they kept changing lineups, and Denver doesn't have that because I mentioned going into the series. The Lakers have a lot of good bench players, and if you want to count Schroeder as a bench player, of course we know Lonnie Walker is, and he has a couple good moments here and there. Rui was really good in game one. They have guys. Vanderbilt defensively can give you a different look with some versatility, even though he was basically useless in game one. But still, yeah. they can give you different looks. Denver has basically six guys. No offense to Christian Braun. No offense to pass prime Jeff Green. Jeff Green will give you one good game of playoff series, and the rest he's going to give you nothing. He had three points in game one. But that's what you usually get from Jeff Green at this stage in his career. Bruce Brown, really good. I think Bruce Brown's probably the best individual bench player in this series. But they have six guys. The Lakers have arguably eight or nine. I think that's yeah. the real problem here. If there's foul trouble concerns, if there's overall lineup changes that the Lakers make or defensive adjustments, does Denver really have a counter besides benching Aaron Gordon for Jeff Green and trying to stretch the floor out? Do they have many adjustments? Because I'm not sure what they're supposed to do. I don't think so either. And I think that uh, for the Lakers, you take a look um, – in game one is really that first quarter where they got outscored by 12 points where they gave up so many offensive rebounds. I think that like uh, the Denver Nuggets did five offensive rebounds within like the first few minutes. And I think I think AD had one rebound in the entire first quarter. Yeah. I think. He so did finish up with double digit rebounds, but uh, you can't give up 15 offensive rebounds to any team in this league and expect to win. Like you mentioned that Lakers, they didn't lay down. They were actually plus six the rest of the way. Uh, in the final three quarters against the Denver Nuggets. And, you know, they could have easily let down if that, hey, look, with five minutes left, they were down, let's just say they were down 15 points. We could have easily seen them throw in the towel and be like, hey, all right, we lost this game. Let's, you know, get our guys out. Let's put in the bench and we'll just get ready for game two. But despite them losing the game, like you mentioned, they still showed effort um, in the fourth quarter, especially that second half where they outscored the uh, Denver Nuggets 72 to 60. So, I'm with you. I like the Lakers here uh, as well. Plus five and a half. I'm going to be on the money line as well here for the Lakers here tonight. 
Um, you take a look at this playoffs uh, for the LA Lakers. After a loss, they are 4-0 straight up and 4-0 against the spread after a loss in this postseason. Also 3-1 to the under, where they've only allowed 96 points on average to their opponents. Uh, they gave up a 101 and, and 85 to the Grizzlies, and then they gave up 101 and 97 um, after losses uh, to the Warriors as well. So I think they'll clamp down defensively here as well. Um, I do expect them to even up this series. I do like the plus five and a half with you. Also do like the money line. I, so, I do. Sorry. Yeah, I do quickly oh, want to push back a little bit on that stat. I know I like sure. the Lakers too, but just to play devil's advocate. Yeah. Every loss the Lakers have had have been on the road. So they have yet to play a game off that's a true. loss while playing on the road. I at least want to mention that. Yeah, 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 that's a fair point. Uh, total comes in at 227 here, Scott. The uh, first game flew over the total. Uh, what are you expecting as far as a total for this game? So at first glance, that you're you're leaning to the over because you figure you know the game landed in the 250s, but a part of me kind of likes the under in this game. I think like, it's a contrarian play. At first glance, aren't you just assuming this total's blindly at like 230? I mean, after what we saw in Game One, right? I mean, every single one of those first, I think every single one of the quarters, except no, all four quarters predict, produced. 60-plus points is what I'm trying to say. Uh, 62 in the first, uh, 64, 72, and 60 uh, in those four quarters. So um, I I just think that we'll just see a better defensive effort. And like you were mentioning earlier when we were talking about the spread, that Darvin Ham was really playing with the lineups and trying to combat, you know, what Nikola Jokic was trying to do by inserting uh, Rui uh, uh, Rui Achimura into the lineup and what Anthony Davis can do all, uh, defensively as well. So I think that if the Lakers do want to win this game or at least cover the number, I think it's going to have to be a low-scoring game. Uh, so I, I, I like the under as well with you. Yeah, uh, but I do. there's going to be an adjustment that I'm going to make when we get to the player prop section. But sure. I have to at least point out that Denver, despite scoring 132 points, only scored, I believe, 31 points in the final 15 minutes. So the Lakers did find a gear there defensively at the end, which I'll mention for the lineup purposes later. But I want to mention the shooting numbers for both teams. Sure. The Nuggets shot 54.9% from the floor. Mm -hmm. The Lakers shot 54.8% from the floor. Denver shot 46.9% from three. The Lakers shot 45.8% from three. Even if you expect defense to be a little bit hit or miss in this game, there's got to be some regression there. That's crazy. Both teams are shooting north yes. of 45% from three. There's got to be a massive reduction in that moving forward. Um, yeah, I agree with you uh, there as well that, I mean, 60-plus points, like shots are going to fall uh, with, with, what, 258 points being scored in that first uh, game. So we saw, what, yeah, 15 threes made by the Denver Nuggets, and then the Lakers also hit 11 as well, which is – has been out of character for them a lot of those at the, the end, honestly, season. because Reeves had like two Reeves three hit like two threes three, late, right? and yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so let's get over to some player props in this game. What are you looking at? So, my favorite player prop on this one, it's just going to segue me back into the lineup thing I just alluded to for some foreshadowing. I'm on D'Angelo Russell unders. I like basically every D'Angelo Russell under. I got his points, rebounds, and assists okay. at under 20 and a half. It was 23 and a half in game one. He wasn't close. I believe he had 8.0 rebounds and three assists in game one. I know plus minus isn't exactly the best stat, and some people use it to support or to go against narratives. I I, I get it, usually to support narratives, but still. 
I use it when there's a just an alarming number here. So AD had the second lowest plus minus on the team at negative eight, but he played 42 minutes. D'Angelo Russell yeah. played 26 minutes, so 16 minutes less than AD. He was a negative 25. In other words, he couldn't be on the court. The yeah. Nuggets killed him every time he yeah. was on the court. So, yes, I know the number has gone down three. He shot four for 11 from the floor, 0 for three from three. And also, I don't care if he stays after a game shooting jump shots. All they do in their free time is shoot jump <laughs> shots. That's what you do in the NBA. It's called practice. It doesn't mean anything. So I don't care about the Angel Russell taking extra shots after the game. I'm on his unders because I think the Lakers proved D'Angelo Russell, Lakers down 20, three minutes to go in the third quarter, got benched, never played again. Yeah. Lakers outscored the Nuggets by 14. I yeah. think it's pretty telling that D'Angelo Russell has no place on the court in crunch time for this team. Now, he's still going to play because he's a microwave score, but he played 26 minutes in game one. There is no way he plays 26 minutes again. He should be closer to like 15 in this game. And even Bruce Brown, and as a Nets fan, I can tell you sometimes he's a little bit too honest in the post-game press conferences. He just straight up roasted D'Angelo Russell in yeah. the post-game press conference. I don't know if you caught it or not. But I didn't said, catch that part. He said in the post-game press conference, they asked him what exactly the team's game plan was with D'Angelo Russell. And they said straight up, every time he's on the court, we're going to hunt him offensively because he's, quote, not the best defender, end quote. This, he said that he tries, but he's not good defensively. Yeah. So even Bruce Brown admitting that publicly, which, first of all, stupid. I don't know why you would tell the other team what your game plan was. I'm sure the Lakers realized it anyway. But B... The point is the Lakers defensively gave up 132 points in the game. They only gave up 31 points in the final 15 minutes. D'Lo can give you a little bit of microwave scoring. He can't guard anybody. And if you want to talk about the depth and what the Lakers can give you, maybe Vanderbilt can guard Murray for a little bit. You give Lonnie Walker more minutes. You probably give Schroeder more minutes because he's been their best on-ball defender. Uh, at least against the guard position. We saw well he defended Curry before he got ejected in game yeah. six of that Warrior series. It's really not a good deal of series. And even if he shoots the ball well, let's say that he goes over his points prop, he scores 15 points. Is he going to give you rebounding? Probably not. He had zero rebounds in game one. Is he going to give you assists? Probably not. He gave you three assists in 26 minutes in game two, in game one. I think he's going to play like 15 minutes. I, yeah. I don't think he's gonna have enough playing time here. If you want to talk about adjustments and what lines or what lineups Ham could tinker with, I do think that was the main takeaway from game one. They went on the massive run with Russell on the bench. I think I have to be on Russell Unders because once again, the Lakers offense was fine. Russell didn't shoot well, and they still scored 126 points. But Russell defensively killed this team. I'm on his unders. I think he's gonna play less minutes. Yeah, I mean, I can argue against that. Um, negative 26, negative 25 in 26 minutes is so insane in a one possession game in the fourth quarter. I think it tells you all I need to know. I think the next question for me then is um, Schroeder, does, well, he started, got inserted into the starting lineup. He played 32 minutes. And do you do, do then expect Rui Achimura to continue playing those minutes for the Lakers? Because he foul trouble could be a concern. 
but yeah, his minutes have been inconsistent. It's it's been you know he's been up and down, but when he's on the floor, he can fill up the basket as well and kind of give you some defensive versatility. He was a plus ten the bench for the LA Lakers and also uh Lonnie Walker has kind of come alive as well. He uh played 20 minutes as well. But I think those those minutes will yeah probably be distributed between Rui Achimura and Lonnie Walker. And like you mentioned, yeah foul trouble is a concern. Maybe even Vanderbilt. Um, I mean we've seen you, Vanderbilt guard some guards before. I know offensively he can't do anything. So you can argue yeah. it might give Jokic a rest. But yeah would it shock me if Delo barely plays against the starters and kind of takes on a microwave sixth man role. Not really. I think that's actually the best role for him because Denver's bench isn't great. Yeah. So I could see them really messing with Delo's actual minute and rotations. But late in games, he does not belong anywhere near the floor. There's a no chance he plays 26 minutes again. I'm assuming he's going to be around like 15 to 20. And his mm-hmm. PRA is 20 and a half. He had once again 11 in game one, and he still attempted 11 shots in game one. I don't think he's in a top seven in this game because he's going to have less minutes to actually shoot the ball. So I'm on his unders. Is Vanderbilt useful in this series? Maybe. Maybe they use him just to tire out Jamal Murray and make him, you know, deal with him full court or at least deny ball. We'll see what they do. But D'Lo defensively doesn't give you anything. We've known this his entire career. It's why he's a net negative player. It's why I've never been a big fan of him. It's a yeah. good role for him on this team because he's basically the fourth option offensively or the third option. But for this series, I think less is more. I agree. Um, the couple of ones I was looking at, uh, more so square plays, um, Anthony Davis rebounds, 12 and a half is a number right now. Uh, he did finish with 10 uh, in the in-game one, but like you mentioned, what he finished with, he only had one or none in the first quarter. I think quarter. he had like three or four in the first half. He really got off yeah. to a slow start rebounding-wise. Yeah. Then again, Denver didn't miss a shot for basically the first two and a half quarters. That also, yeah. you know, is a factor. Yeah, but. so I think tonight will be a more gritty, you know, grinded out type of game where I think defense will definitely be a priority for both teams because you can't give up 120-plus points and expect to win ball games. Um so yeah, Anthony Davis over 12 and a half rebounds. I think that uh sorry, you also look at, you know, after a loss, um, like I've mentioned with the Lakers, that he's uh averaging 16 rebounds per game in those four games after losses. Uh he's gone over 12 and a half in all three, sorry, all four of those games uh for the uh, Lakers. And also looking at his steals and rebounds, sorry, steals and blocks. That one is a little juiced at minus 140. It is at three and a half. I think in game one, he finished up with three steals and two blocks, so did get over that number again. Um, But he's averaging, um, I want to say it was, so he's had five, five, seven, and four in losses or in games after losses where, you know, we talk about losses, you know, teams typically step up on the defensive side. So I think we'll see Anthony Davis do that um in this game um and i think you just gotta keep riding the jokish rebounds i mean yeah. it's still at 13 and a half it's still at minus it's it is juiced a little bit at minus 135 maybe another ladder opportunity he had 21 uh rebounds in game one and we've seen what he's done throughout the playoffs so far so those were the kind of or sorry those were the player props i was looking at maybe lebron points um i, I was gonna mention lebron points so. yeah go ahead yeah, he finished up with 26 in game one. I didn't actually see the, what the actual number is for tonight. Uh, well, I am going to point out it's kind of going to correlate to LeBron points, but I see ZM okay. talking about Adilo gives them decent passing and shot making. If his shot is off, he's useless. That I agree with, and his shot was pretty off in game one. Uh, but the passing part, it is true. He's fine 
the passer. But I feel like the main takeaway that I had in the fourth quarter of game one, LeBron really got whatever the hell he wanted whenever he wanted it. I just didn't think he was aggressive enough for the majority of the game. And yes, part of it is AD goes for 40 points. I'm, I'm aware of that. But didn't it really feel like LeBron just got a bunch of straight line drives to the actual rim for a large portion of that game? Like if LeBron attempted 20 shots... He could have easily scored like 30 to 35 points. It really just felt like LeBron was trying to defer a bit more. He was one assist away from a triple-double. Yeah, We saw LeBron in game six against the Warriors really kick it up a notch and put the full, I'd say, I'm trying to, he put the nitrous boosters on basically. Like, yeah, I just thought he went even harder. I can see that happening in game two where the Lakers realize we can't go down two nothing. We need to steal one. D'Lo having the ball in his hands, don't get me wrong, it gives you a decent third option. That also means the ball's not in AD or LeBron's hands, which is probably not a good sign. Yeah. I can really see LeBron being extremely ball dominant in this, in this game and daring the Nuggets to do anything in pick and roll defense. Because from what I saw in the second half, when LeBron wanted to score at the rim, he scored at the rim. I'm assuming you noticed the same thing. Yeah. And I think that he's, like you mentioned, he's a, nat- a matchup nightmare for this Denver Nuggets team. It's it's really hard to keep a body in front of a guy. And that like was the LeBron, annoying part because so- LeBron settles for a three at the end of regulation. He tries yeah. some dribble move that gets pickpocketed by Murray in the final couple in the final minute or so. It really just felt like with Denver's lack of rim protection. And yes, so once again, I know eighty went for forty. I'm not sure he goes for forty again. I can really see LeBron just being a lot more aggressive in terms of scoring in game two. That's one adjustment he might make because Denver once again had a hard time defending pick and roll Murray at five fouls. And he was basically being a traffic cone for the final five minutes of regulation. If Aaron Gordon's your best defender, good luck to you. I, I think LeBron can do whatever the hell he wants. And I think that this would be a very good spot, not really to pivot off AD, but if he's not going to go for 40, and if Reeves is not going to give you 23, LeBron can really go for 30 or 35 here. If LeBron mm-hmm. takes 20 shots and gets to the line seven times, he should probably score at least 12 shots and probably score 31-plus points. So I'm on LeBron over. I think LeBron goes for 30-plus in this game because yeah. Denver, once again, defensively, yeah. didn't really look great. Their offense was just so good, it didn't matter. But LeBron, I just think, can get whatever he wants. He just has to be more aggressive. Yeah, I was looking at LeBron either points or PRA for him here tonight. I think that he'll definitely have a big game. I think this is a game where he kind of puts uh, the Lakers on his back and and carries them to a victory here tonight. So um, I think him and AD combined for like 70 points tonight. But I think LeBron can give them 35. I agree 100%. Um, all right, anything else for player props before we do get into our lock and dog? I don't really have much else. Uh, do I dare go back to Michael Porter Jr. under? I had the under 15 and a half in game one. Lante had the over 14 and a half, and I'm we both 15. won because he landed thing. <laughs> so I think I have to link to Porter Jr. under. I'm worried about yeah. foul trouble. I do sure. love his rebounds, Porter Jr.'s <laughs> rebounds. I was all over it as my lock. It was at five and a half in game one. He had a double-double. So I am going to go with Porter Jr. rebounds. I'll be on the over there. I find Aaron Gordon fascinating in this game because he was the guy standing in the paint that allowed E.D. to roam when Rui was guarding Joker in the final couple minutes, which could set up a lot of free dunks if E.D. is committing to blocks and that might set up a free drop-off pass for a dunk. 
but I'm still not an Aaron Gordon guy offensively, and he still can't yeah. really shoot. So I'm not sure what I think about Gordon. I, he could go either way, but I at least wanted to mention that. I know rebounding-wise, Gordon did basically nothing in game one. So maybe you might, you might mm-hmm. want to consider unders there. But I think I kind of covered it. Maybe I would pivot more to like an over for a Lonnie Walker or a Schroeder. Because once again, I think D'Lo is going to play a lot less minutes and somebody's going to have to get those minutes. So that's kind of where I'm pivoting. But for the most part, I'm on D'Lo unders and I'm on LeBron overs. I think LeBron is a good game and I'm also going to be on Porter Jr. rebounds. I don't see a number yet for uh, Schroeder. I do see Lonnie Walker's at seven and a half for his point. So I what think he had six in game one and he like barely shot the ball. I want to say he had eight. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. He had six. He was two of six from the floor. Both of them were three point shots. Uh, How many minutes did he play? Minutes. Well, like 20, 20 minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah. So if you're expecting a boost somewhere, I do think it's a decent spot to, once again, it's. I'm hoping Darvin Ham realizes it. And I'm sure he did because the plus minus numbers are so alarming that they're, they just jump off the page. I yeah. think Lonnie Walker, Rui, and probably Schroeder get more minutes. I think Russell's a complete non-factor. All right, Scott, let's close it out strong here, my man. Uh, let's get into our lock and dog for game two of the Western Conference Finals between the Lakers and the Denver Nuggets. Uh, why don't you lead us off? So I'm going to go to player props in this one. Uh, I'm going to go with D'Angelo Russell under 20.5 points, rebounds, and assists at around minus 113, which I saw in FanDuel. Uh, simply put, you can take points by itself at 13 and a half. But even if Russell has a good shooting game, let's say Russell goes like five for seven and he ends up with 15 points. He still had three combined rebounds and assists in game one. And I think he's going to get less minutes. This number still feels too high. It doesn't feel like it's a good D'Lo series. Give me the under 20 and a half points, rebounds and assists on D'Lo as my lock. And for my dog, I'm going to go back to the king here. I'm going to go with LeBron, and I'm going to take his alternative points here. I'm going to take LeBron 30-plus points at plus 220, Mm. which I think is a bargain. I'm going to take that now because, once again, he still had 26 points in game one, and he still had nine assists. He deferred a lot more to AD in game one. Maybe the Nuggets adjust. Maybe they try to take away something from AD. But LeBron, I think, has to be more aggressive going to the rim. I think he'll get to the line more. I don't think Denver can stay in front of him. 30-plus at plus 220. And I know JR is mentioning that LeBron can choke in the fourth quarter. That's fine. I'm hoping he scores 30 points in the first three quarters, and I'll worry about the fourth quarter later. But I'm going to go with LeBron, 30-plus points at plus 220. For a guy that really paced himself in the entire game one and could have been a lot more aggressive – I do think 30 is too low for a guy that had 26 with with him being relatively passive. Give me the plus 220. Love it. Uh, all right, man. I, there's a lot that I like for this game. Uh, all right. For my lock, I'm going to go with the under in this game at 227. Um, this Lakers team, they just step up. They have to even make it ugly. Yeah, they have to make it ugly. They step up. They step up even more defensively uh, when their backs are against the wall and they're coming off of losses. And not only on this in this postseason, but I think this dates back all the way to 2019. But just this postseason, like we, like I mentioned, the numbers and again, like you made the counterpoint that it it's, it's been on at home mostly for them. But I think this is an opportunity where we'll see some shooting re- regression. That we kind of went through the numbers of Game One, but. I think that we'll see something in the neighborhood of of 220. 
uh, in this game. But I do really like the under. I think the defensive intensity will be up for both teams in this game. So I'm going to go under 227. Uh, also do like AD rebounds over 12 and a half at minus 125 is what I'm seeing over on DraftKings. Um, I think that, like I mentioned, with after coming off the losses, he's he's rebounding the ball very well. But overall, he's been rebounding over uh, very well for this Lakers team as well. Just didn't get it done in that first quarter, like you mentioned, Scott, in game one. But I think that consistently in the fourth quarters where you do expect him to play 40-plus minutes here to know that he should be able to uh, get the rebounds. And I think that will be a priority here tonight for the Lakers after they did they did give up 15 rebound, sorry, 15 offensive rebounds to the Denver Nuggets in game one. So AD over 12 and a half point, uh, sorry, 12 and a half rebounds as another lock for my dog. I'm just going to take the Lakers money line. I think they get it done here tonight. Um, I think that, like you mentioned, I think LeBron and AD will have a big game here tonight. That's the role players will step up. They have been tinkering with the lineups. We saw that in, in the second half of the game of game one, uh, Darvin Ham, we gave him a lot of slack during the regular season. But he's 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 found he's 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 adapted to making changes, and that's what I kind of like him now, to be honest. Yeah, and and he's again, that's I know it's 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 his first year as the head honcho, as the head coach, and he's learned to make those adjustments because you have to make in-game adjustments or halftime adjustments for you to be successful in this league. Unlike Joe Mazzula, who's not doing that or anything, or even calling timeouts like we discussed, but he's done a great job um, of doing that. So I think that you know the king. Uh, in AD, they get the job done here tonight. The role players have been exceptional as well. Like you mentioned, we don't expect D'Lo to play a lot of minutes here tonight. Expect either Schroeder or Rui Achimura or even Lonnie Walker. At least had. that's what I think they should do. That's what yeah, I'm yeah, and they will. I think they will. So I'm gonna go Lakers money line here again. Different shop round for the best number, but um, I think I do think the Lakers get it done here tonight. This will be a one-one series. Uh, hopefully heading back to L.A. on Saturday. I'm going to ask you, though, since yeah. I know you can never really count out LeBron and A.D., if the Lakers go down 2 nothing, do you think they're screwed? Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to lean no because the Lakers are also undefeated at home, but beating Denver in altitude is very, very difficult. It is. It is. Um, so my question to you then is, I don't know. I also, I didn't know uh, who you picked for this series, but if Lakers win here tonight, do you think they win the series? I had the Lakers in six. So okay. I think the Lakers do right. win tonight personally, okay. but right. nothing really changed from what I thought in game one. I thought Denver would win. I thought they'd win by more margin actually, but I yeah. thought the Lakers depth would eventually wear down Denver. And mm-hmm. once again, besides Bruce Brown, they had three combined points between Christian Brown and Jeff Green. They really only have six guys, and that's a serious problem. And Porter Jr. and Caldwell Pope and Murray basically made all their threes. So I expect some regression there. It just feels like with the lack of overall rim protection that Denver has, the Lakers can consistently get good shots at the rim, which might win some of these ugly games that we think we're going to end up seeing, the lower scoring games. If the game's going over, then Denver's going to win the game. It's correlated. The Lakers need to make it ugly. I just think the Lakers have it geared defensively. The Nuggets don't. We'll see. But I still lean Lakers in six. I'm leaning to the Lakers tonight. We'll see. What did you have? Yep. All right. Uh, That's. uh, I had the Lakers in six as well. I took the Heat and the Lakers. Um, I'm hoping the Lakers pull this off because I have very, very significant features on the Lakers. For me, I don't think the Lakers are screwed if they lose this game. But I think yeah. that they're definitely up against it. Like I, winning this game would be so yeah. massive for the Lakers. I'm not writing them off. Yeah. But I would give Denver like a 90% chance to win the series if they go up two nothing. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
That's going to do it, man. Uh, one game here, obviously, here tonight. We're alternating between the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals. Hopefully, it's a good one tonight. Hopefully, we are able to put some more money in people's pockets um, for this NBA postseason. Scott, anything else you want to mention, my man, before we get out of here? Not really. Uh, should be doing another show later with the WNBA uh, because it's season starts tomorrow. So Terrell and I should be doing either tonight or tomorrow morning the breakdown for the Friday card. Besides that, I will be guest hosting the MLB show at 5 p.m. Eastern with Dylan. So if you yep. want some baseball coverage, I will be covering that as well. But find me on Twitter, and I'm going to have a tennis podcast later. So, yeah, doing a bunch of podcasts, keeping busy. Yep. Make sure to follow Scott on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Before you guys get out of here, the 50 of you watching, make sure to hit that smash button or smash, smash that like button uh, before you guys get out of here. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at SGPNNBA. Uh, By the way, again, Jake, Jake, I'm, I'm yeah. assuming Munaf will have the baby on at some point, but, you know, the yeah. makeup isn't ready yet. The hair person, you know, he's got to get styled, you know. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's got to definitely get styled. I can hear him crying right now downstairs because it's time for him to eat. But um, yeah, maybe at some point I'll, 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 he'll pop in here at some point. If Lakers make it to the finals, we'll, we'll be celebrating and and uh, you're gonna I'll, name him LeBron if he makes the. If he makes yeah, the we might have to change his middle name to LeBron or, or something like that <laughs> if the Lakers actually win the title. But uh, we'll see. Can you uh, add a I, fourth to the end of the name, like Lonnie Walker the fourth? Can you? Do yeah, that? Lonnie. Yeah, that would be funny. Yeah, just add the um, IV at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll be back tomorrow with Terrell, right? Um, for yeah, I'm the off. Friday show. Yeah, so I'll be with Terrell. I figured tomorrow. all of you might be tired of me because I've been doing the show the whole week. So I'm yeah. going to give everyone a day <laughs> off for me, and I'm going to get a haircut. There you go. Uh, and I'll be back with Terrell tomorrow for the Friday show. We'll recap what we saw tonight uh, in game two, and then we'll talk about game two of the Eastern Conference Finals. All right, guys, good luck with your bets here tonight. Let's break these books off and let it ride. Basketball, give it, give it, give me the ball because I'm going-